Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it is so good to see you. And I just have to tell you as a pastor, as your pastor, it just uh, fills my heart with joy to see so this room filling up more and more each week and to have the live worship this weekend. Uh, thank you, worship team. It was just so good to uh, be drawn into the Lord's presence uh, in that way today. And uh, it fills my heart with joy. So I want to welcome you here, whether you're here in person or whether you're uh, watching online. We're just excited to be together with you and uh, are looking forward to being encouraged today from God's Word. Today is our final installment on the uh, Recalculating Sermon series as we consider how to navigate the journey of life when our plans change. And we've been exploring how we should think and how we should respond to the detours of life. And we're doing that by looking at the lives of different people in the Bible and how God directed them. So one of my friends sent me this cartoon this week that sort of summarizes it, I think. So enjoy that for just a minute. Charles, uh, Charles Schultz had a gift, I believe, of being able to make us laugh at ourselves and laugh at normal uh, life experiences, right? And being redirected is definitely a common part of life's journey. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, and I have been saying, detours are a normal part of the journey. It's the normal part of life as we know it. Someone defined detours like this. There are times of interruption, difficulty, trouble, or suffering. Detours are times of interruption, difficulty, trouble, or suffering. And then detours often involve fear and pain and, and disorientation. Disorientation is a word, I think, that goes along really well with the whole idea of recalculation. And then just to be clear, I want to add this as well this week. Some detours are God-ordained, and some are more self-made. I think that's an important distinction. Not every detour we find ourselves in was sent by God. Okay? Some of them are more self-made. They might be the consequence of, uh, of our own bad choices, or they might be the consequences of someone close to us and a bad decision they made. Um, so I'm not suggesting that every detour we experience was sent directly by God. However, I will say this, no matter the origin of our detours, I do believe that God redeems them and can bring good out of them. But I'm sort of getting ahead of myself. So uh, today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. I invite you to open up your sermon notes on your app or grab them. If you haven't grabbed one, they're, they're, we do have those out in the uh, gathering area to pick up on your way in if you want. You can also uh, open up your Bible to Genesis 50 at this time. And we're actually going to stand for the reading of God's Word today, and we're going to do it different. So as you're standing, let me explain. I'm going to read the odd verses. Just remember, pastor's odd, you're even, right? So, And you'll notice at the top of the verses it says, Pastor Jim or everyone. And there's one tricky spot, so be watching for it. Don't, don't get messed up, please. All right, Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Message to Joseph saying, everyone. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they, set, when they spoke to him. Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, 
Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Amen. God bless his word. You may be seated, and I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy of uh, gathering together to worship your holy name, the joy of declaring your praise together, and we thank you, God, for your word, and uh, we declare your word is truth, and we believe it with all of our hearts, and we pray you'd use it to uh, change our thinking and to draw us close to you today. We ask you to teach us in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. So we're talking about detours. I didn't sign up for this miserable job. That's a detour. I didn't sign up for this disease. I didn't sign up to take school online on Zoom forever. I didn't sign up for this dead-end marriage or or whatever else you might think of when we talk about the word detours. As you meander through the detours of life toward your God-given destiny, as you maneuver your way there with God's grace, the thing that will keep you going is having the right perspective. And that's what I want to conclude our series by talking about today. I want to make sure that you're looking at the right thing in the right way. That's perspective. Perspective is how you perceive or how you view something. Because it's important that you have the right perspective, particularly when you're on a detour. That is a secret that we all need to understand in order to have success. And we're going to learn that from Joseph's story today, that we need to see our detours from God's perspective. To see our detours from God's perspective. And I want to begin by reading again our key verse, Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I want to remind you of the context of Joseph's story that sets up this verse. So this is a verse that's at the very end of his story. The story covers chapters 37 to 50. This is toward the end of chapter 50. Joseph was the son of the Hebrew patriarch Jacob. His father Jacob showed all kinds of favoritism toward him, and in fact, including that coat of many colors we're familiar with. And just know that that was a a constant and painful reminder and irritation to Joseph's brothers. And then Joseph had those dreams. And remember, he dreamed that his brothers and even his parents would bow down to him someday. And he shared that with his family. 
And of course, his brothers especially didn't like hearing that very much, and they certainly did not like their father's favoritism, and so they ended up selling their brother into slavery. And Joseph ended up as a slave in Egypt in the home of a military commander named Potiphar. And one day, Mrs. Potiphar tried to seduce Joseph, and he refused her advances, and Joseph ended up in prison unjustly. But Pharaoh also happened to imprison his baker and his cupbearer about that same time, and they just happened to end up in the same prison, area of the prison. Not a coincidence, I'm sure. And the cupbearer mentioned Joseph to Pharaoh a couple of years later. Pharaoh had a dream, and the cupbearer remembered how Joseph had interpreted his dream when they were in jail, and so he mentioned this young man, Joseph, to the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh summoned him to his court. And you know the story. Joseph interprets the dreams that Pharaoh had about the, the famine that's coming. And Pharaoh ends up appointing Joseph to be his prime minister and to prepare Egypt for the coming of that famine. And eventually Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt to buy food for their families. A couple of times, in fact, and they were eventually reconciled with, with Joseph. And even Jacob, their father, moved down with them and lived there until he died. So happy ending, but not until after a lot of pain in the process. Some have called it the 50-20 principle. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Stay with me now. I want to back up to chapter 39, and I want to track with you some verses that describe how God was with Joseph through all of that. And in the importance of us remembering the Lord is always with us, even in the midst of our detours and difficulties and trials. The Lord is always with us. These verses are on the screen behind me. I'll be starting at Genesis 39 too. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. That'd be Potiphar. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 5. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And then, remember, Joseph was sent to prison after that false accusation, and it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And finally, verse 23, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. All right, that's chapter 39. I want to focus, though, today on Genesis 50-20 because that's our key text. Genesis 50-20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. The secret to Joseph arriving at his destiny and experiencing God's blessing as he did is that he refused to leave God out of the equation. No matter the circumstances, Joseph knew, Joseph believed the Lord was with him. He gets put in a pit, God was with him, even there. Sold into slavery, God is with him. Rises to a position of influence in Potiphar's house. 
and God was with him. Put in jail, even there, God is with him. And then he moves into Pharaoh's administration, and God is with him still. Every time we see Joseph, whether it's good or bad, we see God is with him. Joseph understood that, and that was key. Let me say it another way to you today. If you take God seriously, you can never be a victim. You can never be a victim of circumstance because God is sovereign over your circumstances. Nothing happened in Joseph's life that was not approved first by God, even if it was negative. But if the enemy can keep God out of the equation, particularly when the circumstances of our life seem negative, you will lose perspective and you will only be able to see the sweat of the treadmill that you're on. All through his story, no matter what Joseph's circumstances, he kept, he, he kept referencing God and remembering that the Lord was with him. He brings God into the equation over and over again. Listen to uh, Joseph and what he said when Pharaoh asked him to interpret his dreams for him. This is how Joseph responded. Joseph answered the king, I am not able to explain the meaning of the dreams, but God, but God will do this for the king. Joseph's destiny was in God's hands, and Joseph understood that. And if your destiny is in God's hands, God will control where you go and where you wind up in spite of the detours you experience along the way. Now, here's what I want you to notice, and it's so obvious, I think it's easy for us to miss. Genesis 50:20 is our key verse, especially that first phrase. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So here's the equation. Evil plus God equals good. Notice the order. Evil, then God, then good. When evil shows up and God is put into the equation, good comes out of it. Now, that may cause some tension for you. Understand, I'm not trying to give a full theology of evil and suffering today. I'm trying to summarize Genesis 50:20. Evil plus God brings good. I know you didn't sign up for this, whatever the detours are that are in your life today. I realize you might not like where you're at right now, but remember this. God is still in the equation. And God has a plan for your good. And the only way for evil not to produce good in our lives is if the enemy can keep God out of the middle of the equation. So don't let him keep God out of the equation. See, if you can keep God out of the middle, then evil remains in control. But the minute you bring God into the equation, into the middle of things, God turns that evil into good. And that's the equation we're looking at. And we see it throughout God's word. Joseph had all kinds of evil done against him. But when he submitted that to God, God flipped it and turned it around, turned it to good. 
Friend, coronavirus is just one of the detours that we're at right now, that we're experiencing right now. And racial reconciliation in our country is another huge detour. And the sin of racism is actually mentioned very often in the Bible. And since we're in this cultural moment, I want to apply this principle of evil plus God produces good to this particular cultural moment. Listen, I understand that some people, to some people, racial justice is sort of this noble principle. But to me, this is far more than just a principle. This is very personal to me and to my family. And it is to many of you as well. I understand that. I have many friends who are people of color. I have two daughters that are from Africa. I have three granddaughters, grandchildren, I should say, who are as well. So this isn't just a principle. This is very personal. And according to God's word, this is something that is essential to our faith. Justice. Non-prejudice. In John chapter 4, there's a beautiful story of Jesus and his disciples traveling back toward Galilee. And it says they chose to go through Samaria. They went out of their way against the cultural norm of their day and made a point to go through Samaria. Jesus led them that way because he had an appointment with a woman at a well. And the issue that he was dealing with that day was racial prejudice. It was a huge deal in Jesus' day as it continues to be today. Jesus chose to deal very directly with the issue, with the evil of racism and prejudice. Listen, I believe we all have some elements of prejudice in our hearts. I know I do, at least, and I admit that I do. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. And since we're all sinners with a sin nature, I suspect we all have some vestiges of prejudice to deal with at times. Sins of the heart are typically not a one and done kind of thing. They just have a way of popping their head up again and again for us to deal with. By the way, this is also a core value of our church at Lake City. Here's how it's stated. When I teach membership class every time, this is part of the class. Core value number eight is stated this way. God is glorified when his church reflects ethnic and cultural diversity. Therefore, we will intentionally and joyfully strive to reflect the passion of Christ for all the peoples of the world. And when I get to this point in the membership class and read that statement, I also read this passage in Revelation 5. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Beloved, in the kingdom of God, we're going to come together from all of our differing backgrounds and people groups and languages and nationalities, and we're going to worship God as one people. He's not going to change us and make us all look the same on that day. God is not a colorblind God. He's created us with all kinds of variety to bring glory and honor to his name. And heaven, I believe, is going to be this wonderful display of the beautiful variety that God has created as we worship him together in unison. And every time I teach the membership class here at Lake City, I teach about this very thing. 
the value of being a multi-ethnic community of faith, especially where God has planted us here in Lakewood. Beloved, God is glorified when we live together in love and unity as a church. We're going to live and worship together in this beautiful mosaic of ethnic backgrounds in heaven. And since that is our ultimate destiny, that oneness in diversity, that's our destiny someday, I believe it honors God when we live that way here today. Yeah, this is nothing new. We've been preaching this and teaching this around here for, for over a decade. It's part of our, our core value statement. It's always been our heart, but it seems particularly relevant right now. So even though today isn't a vision sermon, I usually end the church year and the last weekend of June is usually a vision sermon. I do want you to know, even though today's not a vision sermon, that one of my personal goals for our church family this year is to grow in our biblical understanding and commitment to ethnic diversity and, and harmony. I believe it's one of the best ways that we bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. The church, ne the church needs to lead the way. It's not up to politicians. It's not up to organizations in our culture. It's up to the church to lead the way. It's up to us at Lake City to lead the way. It's what Jesus prayed for us about in John 17. So let's be the church. Back to Genesis 50. Evil, including the sins of prejudice and racism, plus God, bring God into the equation, and then good results. And there is so much confusion and misunderstanding about racism in our culture today. Lots of false teaching even in the church, I believe. The church needs to lead and set the example. By the way, we have a great Bible study that just got started I want to recommend to you. It's called Undivided, and it features pastors J.D. Greer and uh, Dottie Lewis. Dottie Lewis is the son of Reggie Lewis, the uh, well-known football player. And th there's a group that just got started this past week. Uh, Pastor David is leading that group uh, on his Facebook page that he's organized called Undivided as well. I want to thank David for uh, leading that Bible study and giving us this opportunity to grow in our understanding. If you want to check it out, you can go to undivided.net and you can see it, preview it, or just watch that two-minute preview of it, undivided.net. But David is also hoping to start another group, Bible study group, uh, through the study uh, very soon. And so you could sign up and let us know that you want to be part of that. And you can sign up for more information on your digital communication card, or you can leave a record your message on the, on the office phone number too, I'm sure it would work. But this is a study that's just five weeks long, absolutely free. It's based on Acts 10. It's a study of Acts chapter 10. And uh, when I watched it, I was completely inspired by it. So I want to encourage you to consider being part of the Undivided study online. And, uh, or also, you, you can go to undivided.net and do it just as a family group or with a couple of friends if you want, however you want to do it, but it's worth doing. Let us know if you want more information. Okay, let's keep moving on, because we're talking about seeing detours from God's perspective. And that means embracing detours as a blessing rather than a burden. We're all going to experience detours. We need to learn to embrace them and the blessing that they can bring, not just the burden that they bring. Okay? It's so easy to get focused on the negative side in the midst of detours, but that's the wrong perspective for us to take. We need to learn to embrace 
the blessing side. We need to focus on the opportunities that come along with them. A couple of illustrations that I've been thinking about recently I want to share with you. The first one is my son-in-law, Jim. So Jim Michelle is his name. He's the CEO of Electric Mirror. It's a company up in Everett. And they invented the technology of lighted mirrors back in the 90s. And uh, some of their mirrors that they produce have computers or televisions built into them, so they're pretty cool. But anyway, they've been doing that for a couple of decades now. Uh, but when COVID-19 hit a few months ago, it threatened to, cut, to shut down their company. And they had the decision to make, and Jim labored over this. He has a couple, several hundred employees he didn't want to lay off. And it's like, so do we just close down or do we pivot and find something good out of this? And... God brought to them this idea of using their experience in commercial lighting to find a solution to coronavirus and how to treat that. And they did some work in the, the area of ultraviolet light. And uh, ultraviolet lights have actually been used for over 100 years to treat bacteria and viruses and, and pathogens like that. So they, they're used in hospitals and places like that, even though I'd never heard of it before. But anyway... Uh, here's a picture of the actual machine that uh, Jim's company came up with. This is a new division of uh, electric mirror, and that's actually three machines, so it's kind of weird. But what you do is you roll one of these banks of lights into a room, these UV lights, and, and you take the iPad that's hanging there on the handle and program it, then you walk out of the room and push the start button, and it cleanses the room. Pretty cool. It's not the ultimate answer to coronavirus, obviously, but it's one way to kill and disinfect spaces until the, a solution is discovered. And the interest has actually been very strong for these uh, new uh, units. So rather than shutting down Electric Mirror, they have been able to keep right on working through uh, these last four months, and uh, this brand new division of Electric Mirror has uh, developed because of it. So I think that's cool. By the way, the gal at Safeology, that's the name of the, the new division, the gal that sent that picture to me, I told her this is for a sermon that, that I wanted to use it as an illustration. And so she, she emailed her boss, my son-in-law, said, I'd like to know what the sermon topic is and how this fits in. And uh, Jim's response was classic. He said, I think the topic is, how will my granddaughter get fed? <laughs> One more illustration for you. This is from an article in Christianity Today in April. Coronavirus searches lead millions to hear about Jesus. Millions of worried people who have turned to Google with their anxiety over coronavirus have ended up connecting with Christian evangelists in their search results, leading to a spike in online conversations. For example, in the Philippines, a woman named Grace found herself on a website about coronavirus fear hosted by the Internet Evangelism Organization Global Media Outreach. Please help me not to worry about everything, she wrote in a chat with a volunteer counselor. What's happening now is very confusing. Her counselor explained that only Jesus can bring lasting peace, and Grace received Jesus as her Savior. I want you to understand, amen is right, I want you to understand that thousands of conversations are like that are happening over the internet every day. Between mid-March and late March, global media 
uh, outreach, there we go, global media outreach saw a 170% increase in clicks on their search engines for ads about finding hope in Jesus in these hard times. The top three evangelistic online ministries, global media, Billy Graham, and the Campus Crusader crew now, uh, they have something like over 200 million evangelistic presentations every year online. And pastors and evangelists and online ministries are pretty much uniformly saying God is doing something unique right now. So only time will tell, I get it, that about those who have turned to Christ during the pandemic and if they'll continue to seek the Lord or not. But it seems safe at least to say this, that God has been using this detour we're in to get people's attention, to cause them to search for answers, and many of them are finding him. Praise God. So evil plus God brings good. So I wonder, are you waiting for God to take something that is hard in your life today, something that is evil, something that is bad, and turn it into something good? Here's my final point. When we embrace God's perspective of the journey, it gives us endurance to make it, make it through. God's perspective is what gives us the endurance we need to make it through. I want to remind you, Joseph had no idea how his story was going to turn out. We know it because we've read it before. But while he was going through difficulty after trial, after detour, he had no way of knowing what the final chapter would be. Endurance got him through. It took some 13 years after being sold into slavery by his brothers before Joseph ever stood before Pharaoh. 13 long years. It took another nine years before he connected with any of his family down in Egypt. So this was a 22-year saga before we get to Genesis 50, 20. 22 years of his life. It took Moses 40 years before he was ready for God to send him back to Egypt to live out his destiny. It took Noah 120 years of building an ark before God fulfilled his promise to him to deliver him from the evil in his day. It even took Jesus 30 years before God launched him out into public ministry. So just because you or I have a period of inconvenience in our lives, just because we have this time when things aren't working out like we want them to, we need to learn to endure. See, what we want oftentimes, I think, is a microwave God when God is much more of a crockpot God. Okay, he's going to let our character simmer and slow cook and just get done the right amount. But it takes some time to do that. He wants, to, I think, to soften us up and to do his work in us and to develop our character. And that's how transformation works. Next, I want to remind you that if we are faithfully living for God, we can expect that trials will come our way. Expect trials to come our way. A good example of that is Daniel. 
The prophet Daniel, remember, he was taken to Babylon as a prisoner of war when he was just a teenager, carried off into exile, much like Joseph. His life as he knew it was ripped away from him, and he found himself in a completely different land. But Daniel and his friends chose to follow God faithfully, though they were in this hostile place. And God honored them for their choice to put God first, to be faithful to his word. Daniel rose in the ranks. His friends rose along with him. Daniel became the second in command in Babylon. And I think you remember the story. After the deep state in Babylon tried numerous times to get him and to get rid of him, they plotted one thing after another. There was the fiery furnace. Remember the lion's den experience? Listen, if you follow God faithfully, don't expect everything to be smooth sailing. In fact, it's much more realistic to expect attacks and intimidation, I believe. So when Daniel heard that they had passed that law, making it illegal for him to continue to pray to the one true God, what did he do? Well, he kept right on doing what he had always done. Listen to how Daniel described his response in Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He remained faithful to his God. Listen, beloved, we live in a day that is progressively becoming more and more like Daniel's day. There's increasing intimidation and animosity directed toward followers of Christ. Our culture is trying to silence us. But friends, don't lose heart. More important, don't back down. When we embrace God's perspective of the journey. It gives us endurance to make it through. So be prepared and expect those trials to come. I love the way the Apostle Peter put it some century, seven centuries after Daniel. This is what he said. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And friends, that is so hard for us to do when we're in the middle of a detour or something painful to rejoice. But Peter says Jesus is the example. So be ready to suffer and endure just like he did. Expect trials that will help you be able to endure. So why do I say that? Well, the tendency is when the hard times come down here, it is to, to give up, to lose hope in God. But I want you to know this as well. The, the worse it gets, the harder you need to run toward God. Amen. Know this as well. The worse it gets, the harder you need to run toward God. When detours feel like setbacks and disappointment sets in, that's, that's the time to draw near to God the harder you need to pursue him, the more aggressive you need to run toward him. It's easy to praise him in the sunshine. 
But if it's stormy outside, you have to make yourself, you have to remind yourself to praise Him. The darker it gets, the harder you need Him to shine His light in your life. Listen to what David said when he found himself in a dark place. This is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David lived in a very desert, arid country, and so that's how he's describing it. That might be hard for us to comprehend sometimes, but he understood the need to earnestly follow after God. That's not only his secret. I think Joseph got that as well. He had no idea how long it was going to take him to get through the painful stuff that he was going through. 22 years. And I believe that endurance comes only by drawing close to God. I love how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus, the one we're drawing close to. Listen to this, Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that what we need? A high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who invites us to draw near to his throne of grace with confidence so that he can give us his grace and help. Here's some application points I want to conclude with. The first next step is this. I will ask God to give me his perspective on my journey, his perspective on my journey. And that means, first of all, remembering that he is always with us. God promises his presence and his strength to be with us no matter what we go through. So if we will see our detours and our circumstances from God's perspective, he will bless us and he will give us success. Next step two is I will trust God to turn evil into good to turn evil into good. Remember the equation. Evil plus God brings good. When evil shows up and God is kept in the middle or put in the middle, God can, or good can come out of that. In fact, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Beloved, the only way for evil not to produce good in our lives as if the enemy can keep God out of the equation. So don't let him keep God out of your perspective, out of the middle. And how do we keep God there? That's next step number three. I will seek God earnestly while I wait for his help. I will seek him earnestly while I wait for him to help. Sometimes that can take an awful long time. Ask Joseph. So what do we do while we're waiting for God to intervene to give us the help that we're asking for? Well, we keep seeking him and running to him earnestly. Not half-hearted, but earnestly. Like a deer panting for water is how David describes it. Jeremiah 29 are some of my favorite verses, and I want to close with them today. But I want you to notice the condition that is mentioned and it's highlighted at the end of this passage with the word when. So listen for that. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me if, when you seek me with all your heart. Friend, that's what we all need to be about. Seeking him with all of our heart, getting into his word, and studying God's word. And we need that more today than ever, believe me. Next step, number four, is I will surrender my life to Christ and his plan for me. If you've already trusted Jesus as your savior, then it's uh, surrendering to his plan for your life and asking him to help you. But maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you've never yet surrendered your life to Christ for salvation. And friend, that's the place I would encourage you to start right now. To just ask him to be your savior, to forgive you for your sins, so you can line up your life with his plans for you. And uh, that would be the place that uh, he's calling you to start today. And I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ as we close in prayer right now. So let's bow in prayer. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we draw near to your throne of grace. And we draw near with confidence because you shed your blood there for us. You paid the price for our sin. And we, we want you to know how grateful and how thankful we are. You are our sovereign king over all, all of life. And we worship you and we declare your greatness today. And friend, if you're listening to this prayer right now and you've not yet taken that first step of faith by receiving Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to do that right now. Just silently in your heart of hearts, just pray, Father, I need your forgiveness. I can't earn your forgiveness by being a good person or by being a religious person, but I receive your forgiveness today by faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that his shed blood for me paid for my sin, and I receive the gift of forgiveness right now. And I give you thanks for that gift of eternal life, and I look forward to experiencing your help and your plans for my life today. Father, we all need your perspective, so we ask that you keep that in our minds. You give that to us. Thank you that you understand. You can sympathize with our weaknesses, Lord. Help us to even rejoice in our suffering. Help us to trust you on the journey and to seek you with all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.